This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, a website, a portfolio, or an online store. Create your own space today by visiting squarespace.com and use offer code TREK10 to save 10%. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm donate to get our alien badges and art prints featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our Star Trek books and comics podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he is every week, is my co-host Matthew Rushing. Matthew, we're back. Uh, We had to take a break last week because I was ill, but we're here once again to talk about books and comics this week, and uh, what have you been up to? Well, you know, Chris, uh, not too much. I'm glad to see that uh, apparently you, know, you went to sick bay and Beverly uh, really worked her magic and uh, has made you well. Uh, and Beverly so, worked on me, and I'm alive. I know I'm alive. it's a, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, <laughs> wow, who doesn't want Beverly to work on them? Anyway, back to books and comics. <laughs> um, it yeah, you know what? It's been great here in Dallas. Uh, you know, we every once in a while talk about the weather, and honestly, today was magically fantastic outside here in Dallas. It doesn't happen a lot, but we fall is hit, um, and so I uh, actually spent some time just hanging out with a friend on the porch this evening, just enjoying the evening and kicking back. And so yeah, I cannot complain. What about you, Chris? I'm doing better than I was, and it's finally cooling off. You know, we just got hit by yet another typhoon the night before last, Typhoon 26. Uh, we don't actually name them like you name hurricanes. Uh, we just number them in Japan. Ah, But apparently apparently, um, other countries actually give names to the typhoons, so I have no idea what it was called. It was number 26, twice as many as usual this year. Uh, I, I really just want to escape to Riza where the weather's beautiful all the time. So you guys have like Borg designations for your typhoon. So it was, you know, one of, you know, uh, 12 of 12 is what you had. Right. This was 26 of 26 or 26 of a number yet to be determined. Excellent. Oh, I like it. (laughs) It's, uh, that's fun. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of enjoy, you know. Being able to like you know we have hurricanes here and and you you know you get to name them so you really get to blame oh, I hate that hurricane Andrew you know and you really get to put a name to the face of that hurricane uh, it's not as much fun to be like oh, I hate number twenty six it's it doesn't damn mean you twenty six exactly yes, you know? I know people are like what are you the thing about, about that though for you Matthew is that people look at you weird when you start cheering as Hurricane Esri is coming towards you. Well, that's a completely different story. I can't imagine why you would not be cheering if Hurricane Esri was coming towards you. But anyway, again, completely yeah. different show, Chris. <laughs> different show. All right. Why don't we jump into our news here? We have one book item today, and then we're going to talk about the new Khan 
comic that's out before we get into the feature. And then in the feature, we're going to continue our look at DS9's relaunch series with Demons of Air and Darkness. But Matthew, this first news item, which we saw on the Trek Collective, is it's word from David Mack about a new book that's it's not his book, but there's going to be a novel coming out to follow up on data and the events in Cold Equations, book three, The Body Electric. Now, I haven't read that particular book yet myself, but I know you have. So how excited are you to find out that they're going to pick up that thread? Well, Chris, I'm definitely glad that they're going to be picking up the thread. Um, I think it's interesting it won't be David. Uh, it makes me wonder if Jeffrey Lang will be coming back uh, because he wrote The Immortal Coil, which David really used um, the, some of the, the thread points in that storyline to, to create the Cold Equation series and, and specifically the plot for Data. Um, and, uh, so it would be great to have Jeffrey back, uh, if, if that's the case, that's, that's kind of the, the, the thought behind who might be writing this book. Um, and so that would be fantastic. And, you know, bringing data back is a big, uh, leap. Um, obviously, you know, if you're going to bring characters back, data is probably one of the easiest to bring back just because of all the shenanigans they've you can pull with an android um and the fact that his memories and everything was still around um i'm just really interested to see what they are going to do with data because in a lot of ways i feel like just personally you know if you bring data back um we kind of want to see him i feel like in starfleet again somehow and if you don't do that in some way, I don't know, what do you do with the character? Because if you don't have him revolving around something going on in the 24th century, um, you know, you're just going to have a whole series devoted to Data. Data's an okay character, but I don't want a whole series devoted to him. So I'm in, I'm just very interested to see where they're going to go with this. And, and yes, excited, because depending on where this author takes the storyline, um, I'll, I'll know better then whether I'm really excited about it or not. Yeah. Here's an idea. Now, we've talked on here a number of times about how these days, every author seems to want to incorporate Section 31 into their story, whether it's a book or a comic. Of course, Into Darkness has Section 31. What if Data comes back and becomes an Android Section 31 operative? Well, you know, um, what's really interesting is that uh, with all the abilities that he has from the Android body that soon created data could be the best section 31 agent ever created because he can kind of change his appearance what he looks like uh he's basically a chameleon almost um and so data would actually be perfect for section 31 in that sense now of course i think we're kidding because i don't know how (laughs) rewarding that would be to have data come back to from you know death and what does he turn into is him and law are the new section 31 agents. He's like the, the new Sloan. Um, so that, that might be a little disappointing. Sloan and law <laughs> Fridays on NBC. Yeah. Chris, I, I'm not sure uh, how that would work. I mean, you know, there's been that talk about a new star Trek show on, uh, yeah. you know, NBC or something like that. And, well, it'd be CBS, uh, yeah. Or CBS or one, you know, whatever network they decide yeah. they want to put on. But I can't see um, that really. I don't see Brent Spiner re- reprising the role, but uh, who knows? Um, you know, the fact <laughs> that Data can ha- have all these abilities, you know, 
Brent's looking a little bit older. Not a lot. Brent, you look great still. Um, and just in case he's listening. And uh, But that could be a great way to, 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 you know, this is why he looks a little bit older, Data, because, yeah. you know, he has the ability to, to change his... Uh, so yeah, well, well, I don't. We'll see. I, I think this is great, though. I do like that they're obviously not going to forget this thread. I mean, if you're going to bring a right. character back, you need to pick it up, um, and you need to let yeah. people know what happens to the character. So that's right. Yeah. Okay. Good. So uh, we'll let you know more about this as information becomes available. But it was an interesting bit that David let out in his interview with TrekCore about what's coming up. So data fans, get ready. You're going to have some new material to take in. Now, Matthew, the next thing here, something that we've been waiting for for a while since they announced that they were going to tell the backstory of Khan, the John Harrison, Benedict Cumberbatch Khan from Into Darkness in the IDW comics. And this week, Khan number one dropped. We've read it and we thought It'd be nice to give a preview, talk about it a little bit. I think when the entire series is done, we'll do a feature on it and we'll actually talk about the entire uh, story itself as, as a whole. But just to get everyone started here, con number one, Matthew, has a great cover. What did you think when you flipped it open? Uh, well, goodness. I mean, uh, Paul Shipper created these comics covers that you see and they are stinking fantastic um he also did a, a really uh, great star trek in a darkness movie poster which i really loved and actually wished that had been the actual movie poster so the fact that they contacted him and had them him do this is i, I think great so uh, the cover alone is dynamic and well done artwork it draws you right in i think it makes this look exciting Um, so I, you know, ever since I saw, um, Paul post what he was doing for the covers alone, I thought, man, I I can't wait to read this series. Now, Chris, we've both read the Nero comic. Mm -hmm. So thinking back to the Nero comic and then what you read here, do you already like one over the other? Well, I, I already like this one better just because... Khan is such an iconic character, and the fact that they brought him back in the Abrams verse makes you wonder what's the backstory here to Khan. And of course, we we know that you know Admiral Marcus found him, unfroze him, and uh, used him for his own purposes. And so, you know, how did Khan get created in the first place? And I'm sure by the end of this, we'll find out how he was discovered by Admiral Marcus as well. So that, to me, is already more interesting than Nero's backstory. Well, I, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, just reading the first issue here, it already set itself way above the Nero comic. And I, I think because reading through this, you know, we had a lot of questions after watching Into Darkness about this con, you know, um, and I think that this comic is doing a great job of answering those questions already. Um, and even just one of the, the quick questions is of why does this con look different than the character that we know and love from from the movie? Um, and, and then, of course, TOS. They actually bring that question up, the fact that he doesn't look like mm-hmm. the con that we know. And so... 
as this tribunal is going on, Khan is going to be telling us his story. And right. the story so far is, is, I think, just fascinating. It is very interesting. It's a very good setup. It is. It is. Honestly, I, I would say, you know, we've read After Darkness. We've been reading the ongoing comics. I would venture to say this is probably maybe the best issue that I may have read in Star Trek comics in a long time, and I was not disappointed whatsoever. Yeah, I, I agree. Not only are they telling an original story, but they're they're starting, as I was just saying, from a point where you already going in, you want to know what this backstory is. Whereas with the other comics, even the more recent ones, they're telling a new story, but it's moving us forward into the future of that timeline. So we don't have any... Uh, expectations going in as to to what we may or may not find out. Whereas with this one, we already know we're going to be filling in blanks, and and so that already makes the story better. And you know, in the movies, how they've brought back you know Carol Marcus, especially with Into Darkness, bringing back characters from the original series films in that case, but bringing together how characters from the prime timeline interact with each other. And I was just reading something yesterday, actually, and um, I don't remember what the source was uh, because it was an article and they were citing something that Orsi had said elsewhere in the past. But what Orsi was saying was that the fact that certain characters come together and certain events repeat themselves in the Abrams verse, it's not just done randomly. It's based on the idea that even though there may be multiple universes that uh, people and characters come together and events happen because they are somehow, like on a quantum level, the most likely things to happen. Like this is how these mm -hmm. particles are most likely to come together. And so details may vary, but these things will probably happen. And so I don't know if you noticed, but right here on the very first page, they brought another character from TOS into the story here as they start the tribunal. And they have Mr. Cogley here as the attorney. Yeah, um, I thought that that was really interesting. Uh, a great callback. You can tell that the writers really know their TOS when they're writing this, and they, they can throw in those little Easter eggs. So I thought that that was fantastic. Um, and I definitely remember that that kind of that thought process of Orsi and Kurtzman talking about you know why these characters come together. And they had talked a lot about this kind of idea that the only word they could come up with with is there's it's like destiny that in each universe yeah. you know that was what they could come up with you know scientifically you might call it just kind of quantum level mechanics of that they're in the end it's they're destined to work together to be together somehow whether it's the crew of the enterprise or or say running into con or all of these yeah. characters interacting somehow uh, a lot in the same way that the mirror universe works in the fact that all these characters run into each other. Uh, obviously, the mirror universe being very, they run into each other, but it's also very different, you know, uh, the very yeah. different circumstances. Whereas the JJ universe, even though being somewhat kind of a mirror universe, it's a lot closer to what we know in the uh, mm -hmm. the, the prime timeline. So. But right. yeah, this is just a really fantastic look. Um, I think um, this is this is really 
reading through this, I, I, I think everybody should just go out and get this comic because one, I think what this, I see happening as it progresses, really adding to Into Darkness so that as you watch Into Darkness, I think a lot of some of the questions that we've had will be answered. Yeah. And so that as you watch the film, you're you're really going to um, just be blown away because everything will kind of fall into place. Yeah. It does make me think that maybe if they had added some of this stuff into Into Darkness and J.J. Yeah. Abrams was okay with making an hour and 15 or two hour and 15 minute film or two and a half hour film yeah. that it might have just added to the legitimacy of people liking Into Darkness more. Well, it would have. And and that's sort of the problem that I think exists with the Abrams verse and Into Darkness is that the the Abrams verse in the comics is working pretty well for me and it's pretty interesting. But on the screen, it leaves me feeling like you know, it's, something's missing. It's there are these characters and they're dressed up like Starfleet characters, but mm-hmm. it's just not quite working for me. And I, I think that there is a problem where when you have to read comics months and months after a movie is in the theater for you to start feeling like, okay, maybe that movie, what they did in that movie wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was. I think that's a little bit of a problem from a creative standpoint because you're you're putting something out there and you're upsetting everyone and then a very small percentage of people are going to read these comics and are going to say, oh, okay, I see what they're doing. Oh, that's not so bad after all. Okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. So I, I do wish, like you said, that they would put some of this in the film somehow to kind of hmm. help that narrative work better for the wider audience. Yeah, and and my guess is, and, and see, this is the frustrating part, is that I, I feel like that the this kind of backstory and all that kind of already exists for them to write the film in the first place. Right. And it's just, it's a little bit maddening because it's, I feel like they could have just added some of this in, you know, whether it's a flashback or, or whatever, or, or heck, you know, you could have even started in the darkness with this trial and have this thing, whole thing told back in flashback, you know? And in fact, you could have, had Khan tell the story and then it would have kind of taken off the movie from there just the way that lots of places do. And and we kind of would have known that he would get captured, but yeah. at the same time you would end up with this really awesome, um, more cohesive story. Or you could do something like the week before the movie opens in theaters, have a one hour television lead in, have a Star Trek TV special that tells that backstory that shows the tribunal that we have here that leads you because it would push people to the theater like okay what's going to happen now i've got to go see the movie even though they're going to see the movie anyway but that would especially push people to go see the movie and the information would be there and you would have the setup without it having to be part of the movie and by putting it on television a wide audience would be able to see it I, exactly. there, there are a lot of options that they that they have at their disposal if, if they wanted to do it. So, But at any rate, we're getting it here. And I think that they've created a very interesting backstory. And of course, we're only getting the start of it here in issue number one. But what they've done, uh, the artwork's nice. The, the writing is good. The story's very interesting. And uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, like you said, really pleased with it so far. 
Yeah, I, I recommend it. I, I hope that everybody will go out and get a copy. I, I think they, they won't be disappointed. And, and uh, you know, honestly, really looking forward to what's going to come next in this because hands down, uh, you know, my uh, favorite Star Trek comic of the year so far. Very good. Okay, well, next month we'll be getting issue number two. So we will probably fill you in on our thoughts there on that one as well. Although, uh, like we said, we might do, we'll do a feature on the whole thing. So we might uh, just touch on it a little bit and save all of our... We're, we're trying not to spoil anything for anybody here, obviously, today by not going into the details of the story. So um, we'll watch for that. All right, Matthew, before we jump into the feature today, we need to tell everyone about our sponsor for this show, and that is Squarespace. And Squarespace is the web's best CMS and hosting. It's a combined platform that makes it very easy for you to create your own website, blog, portfolio, or even an online store. And Matthew, speaking of the online store option, this is the Squarespace Commerce feature. And when this was originally released, it was available in the United States. It expanded to Canada. Then it expanded to the UK, which we've told people about recently. And it's now available also in Australia, Belgium, France, Germany, Ireland, the Netherlands, and Spain. So it's it's really expanding everywhere. I'm waiting for it to come to Japan. And let me just ask you real quick, if you could set up your own online store today, Star Trek related, of course, what would you want to sell? It could be physical goods or digital products. Well, Chris, uh, I think we all know the answer to that. It would be uh, Dax memorabilia, uh, <laughs> whether it be, uh, you know, um, Janzia or uh, Esri. So either one of those uh, just be a completely Dax-centered store with a nice side store for starships. Oh, that sounds good. And you could have a special, you know, like buy two products, get a free Yedrin decal. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you can't forget about the all the other DAXs, but obviously right. we'd be focusing on the two hottest DAXs. And uh, <laughs> yes, so um, yeah, I think that's what I'd be doing, Chris. That sounds good. So it'll be Matthew Rushing's DAXorama.com. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, let me tell you, Matthew, if you set up your DAXorama, the Squarespace Commerce feature is going to make it really easy for you to handle orders, process credit cards. There's a 30-second merchant sign-up with Stripe, and that gives you instant approval capabilities. It doesn't require any paperwork, and you can begin processing orders in just a matter of minutes. You, know, you could even receive direct deposits for purchases. It handles full tax and shipping rules by region, which is great because, of course, in the U.S., you know, taxes vary from state to state. So that makes it easy for you to calculate that automatically. And there's also this great order management interface that lets you easily track outstanding orders, recent customer update emails, print packing slips, and more from a single interface. And uh, this doesn't apply to you personally, Matthew, but some people listening, they may already have inventories in Shopify or Big Cartel, and it's very easy for you to move those over to Squarespace Commerce with just a few clicks. Of course, the best way for you to find out how well all this works in online commerce is just to try it free for yourself. You know, you can create your own store or website, blog, or portfolio, whatever you want to create, free for 14 days at Squarespace. There's no credit card required to do the trial. You just put in your name and your email address, and in a matter of minutes, you'll be setting up your site, 
Plans start at $8 per month for normal websites, blogs, and if you want all these great commerce features that we just talked about, that's just $24 per month. Plus, as a Trek FM listener, you can save 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts by using offer code TREK10. And one more special offer, if you choose the annual plan, you can get a free custom domain registration. So there you go, Matthew, that's your daxarama.com, absolutely free when you choose the annual plan. Excellent. Very good. So what you need to do is just go to squarespace.com, sign up for the free 14-day trial, and then when you purchase your plan, be sure to use offer code TREK10 to get that great 10% discount. And we really thank Squarespace for their support of Literary Treks and the network. And we know you're going to love Squarespace just as much as we do. Well, Chris, we're going to be talking about uh, Demons of Air and Darkness, which is the next book in our Deep Space Nine relaunch that we've been going through. And uh, this book was written by Keith DeCandido and originally published in 2001. And this is the fourth book, really carries on that continuity of uh, the Deep Space Nine novels after the series finale. And also the fourth book in the Star Trek Gateways crossover miniseries. And so each one of the series, except for Enterprise, um, had a part in this, um, even the Excalibur series that they had yeah. done. And um, this is a very big series. And Challenger was in there as well. Exactly. And so yeah. all these big novel series that we're continuing at were being done in the Gateway series. Now, you didn't have to read every single book in the series to actually feel like, uh, you, you know, you got the whole story, which was nice. Uh, e each uh, crew kind of dealt with their own specific thing, and then it was finished up in uh, an omnibus that had a story for each, a short story for each of uh, the different series going on. And so, like a, um, the character threads that were left. Exactly. Exactly. So this book together. did have a uh, a nice character thread uh, left off and leaves us hanging, but uh, had a great story. I mean, it centers on Europa Nova um, suffering a deadly radiation bombardment. The uh, Maelron freighter has been dumping waste as this Iconian gateway has been opened, um, because of course we all know the Maelon love to find a place. To, to dump their waste. They don't care what happens to anybody else. And They're the garbage uh, man of the galaxy. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and Well, probably the jerkiest comic uh, garbage <laughs> man of the galaxy, honestly. And so yeah. this book uh, has a lot going on in it. There's a lot of different story threads happening. Um, they Keith really does a good job of, of picking up all of the different story threads that have been happening on Deep Space Nine with the different characters and, and really moving them forward. So I really liked seeing that. And so before anything, Chris, you know, just reading through the book, what did you think? Well, before I go into that, we should give everyone our spoiler warning because we are going to talk about a lot of details in the book. We'll try to leave some things hanging, but we do want to actually go in depth into the book and it's been out since 2001. So um, if you haven't read it yet and you'd like to before you listen, you might want to grab the book and read through. So that said, uh, I enjoyed the book. I thought it was an interesting way to pick up a mysterious race from Star Trek that we had seen before on DS9 because, you know, we did see them into the death. Well, we, we didn't see them into the death, but we saw their gateway into the death. And it goes back to TNG, early TNG with Contagion, of course, when the Yamato is destroyed as 
the enterprise investigates and Iconian gateway as well. So it was nice to pick that up. And like you said, I was happy to see how Keith was able to take threads from Abyss and from Avatar and further those threads in the midst of this story, which overall to me felt a lot like some of the older pre uh, series books that we, you know, these days we get these books that are in these series like Destiny, Cold Equations and such. Going back to the numbered novel days and those types of stories that we got, this book to me felt more like that with some of these DS9 threads mixed in to help give it more of a DS9 feel. I can see that too, uh, and especially it's difficult because you're creating that uh, standalone series that you want. Um, you know, you, you don't want people to feel like they've have to read all of the the what's going on in Deep Space Nine to really get. You know, just say they picked up the Gateway series and they're just reading through that, and so yeah, you're really having to juggle that. And I think on a whole, Keith does a good job of that. You know, the side story with uh quark and and gala and everything and that's the part i really felt like felt the most like what you were talking about kind of one of those numbered series that just yeah. seems like one of those kind of wacky adventures that would happen that doesn't seem to have a ton of uh to do with what you've been doing on deep space nine and yet at the same time that's where tierra comes from um and you know uh kind of um uh, really helps uh, Roe and Quark spend a lot some more time together, which they'll end up as a couple. Spoiler alert! Later on, so that's always very interesting, kind of seeing the genesis of those kind of things, them spending more time together. And so there's a lot that goes on in the book. And then too, um, you know, obviously as being the person who really loves Esri, they do a lot in this book with her and and just kind of her struggling still with figuring out who she is and how to work all of these different Dax characters basically inside her head together and what's that supposed to look like which you know honestly I thought was one of the most interesting things because we don't know a ton about the Trill and what that looks like and it's really nice to see that explored in the books this kind of process especially from somebody who wasn't trained for this process having to deal with Okay, what do you do with this many lifetimes in your brain and how do you act and how do you interact and what do you become when you throw all that together in the blender and in a person? (laughs) So I think uh, a lot of that really works well for me. And then, of course, you know, the book itself, I mean, we've got, let's see. Uh, Iconians, Gateways, Herogen, oh my. I mean, you know, we span the galaxy. In fact, the book starts in the Delta Quadrant, which you don't expect a Deep Space Nine book to start in the Delta Quadrant. Right. With the Malon. I thought that that was a really interesting thing and a really great way to uh, utilize something from Voyager, use something from the, the original series, the Iconians, bringing it all together into a Deep Space Nine book. and Because Deep Space Nine does a great job, as we've talked about on the Orb before, of using things from other series and making it their own. So Keith, I feel like, just does what Deep Space Nine does best and take all those things yeah. and create a story that works around what they do. You know, it's interesting that on the cover for this book, 
you have a Hirogen, and and then you have Shar, the Andorian, who's on DS9 now. And how did you feel about the Hirogen element to this? Because so what's happening in the Delta Quadrant? Okay, well, okay, the premise of this book just we should set this up, is that the Iconian gateway network has suddenly been activated. And now there are these gateways, both the kind that are on a planetary surface that are more like a door, as well as these large ones that are in orbit of planets that can allow ships to jump through. And so there's this gateway between the Delta Quadrant and Europa Nova, this planet that where most of the the crisis, refugee crisis, occurs that the Defiant and other ships are there to deal with. However, so Matthew, this gateway where the the radiation waste, antimatter waste, is being dumped by the mainline and it's coming through, I mean, that could have been anywhere. It didn't have to be in the Delta Quadrant. I felt like the 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 whole Herogen thing was just there so that we could see a Jim Hadar and a Herogen fight each other. Which I agree with you, and it was awesome, <laughs> because all I could think of was like, haven't we wanted to see this kind of like smackdown? It feels like a Star Trek <laughs> rival smackdown. Who would win, a Herogen or a Jim Hadar? Um, that's what I was thinking the whole time, you know. Um, okay. And so I know it's probably... It's not my greatest moment as a fan, you know, it's kind of geeky and stupid, but I actually really thought that, you know, if you're going to do something like that, what a great and cool thing to do is kind of show some of the greatest warriors from the Gamma Quadrant against the Delta Quadrant and have those two go up against each other. Um, And it worked for me. It's almost like this four-team college football playoff that we're going to be getting next year. We've got in the in the first round, we've got Delta versus Gamma. We could have Alpha <laughs> versus Beta. And then the winner of those two death matches could then face off in the finals. Right, exactly. Exactly. For the Galactic Championship. It, 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 I think we've we've nailed it. We've just got a brand <laughs> new um, you know, ultimate fighting champion Star Trek style. Um, I guess so. So I I mean, the fact that it's in there like that is fine with me. I I I went into the book because of the cover art, thinking that the book was very much about the Herogen using the gateways to invade the Alpha Quadrant. And in reality, the Herogen element is a Herogen fighting Tyranitar on a trash barge. And if I want to put that in the order of plots within the story... What is it like the C plot, the D plot? Maybe, <laughs> probably, probably. I, 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 you're right in the sense I don't really understand <laughs> the cover art. Why that the they've they've well, created? I think it was just to here. get people to buy the book. Unless probably. Like people would say, "Oh, um, hey, look, what the heck Herogen, is a Voyager doing was, on a DS9 book." Yeah, it was the tail end of Voyager there. So, and the other thing that having the Delta Quadrant included in the story here as I was getting towards the end and Kira, it it looks like, you know, how's Kira going to get out of the situation that she's in? And oh my gosh, now this gateway's closed. What's going to happen to Kira? I was saying to myself, please, please don't have Voyager fly by and pick her up. Please don't do that. 
And yeah, that would have been the Voyager easy button. Uh, luckily, yeah. Keith doesn't take that. Um, Thankfully, he did not do that. Yes. Yeah. But that was going uh, through my head. I was like, oh, no, it's Delta Quadrant's part of a series. Oh, please don't make this happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, the first time that I read this, I, I was thinking about that. Um, and, of course, reading it again, I knew that that wouldn't happen. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, very funny. Uh, idea that oh gosh that that is what you're thinking if you've if you've never read this and you're reading it, you're like oh gosh oh gosh no no don't know because you know the next book is going to be a Voyager book and that maybe somehow they would be able to yeah, get Kira that's home that's what you're and, thinking and yeah. then and then of course if they can get Kira home how why wouldn't they get all of Voyager home and so yeah what well, it would be something like like the the front end of the ship got through the gateway and they were able to beam her over to ds9 but then the sails were still stuck in the delta quadrant and it got sucked back through yeah yep harry kim would have died and come back the other element in here are the gateways themselves and keith sets up something very interesting which i felt like i never got an explanation for and and maybe we'll get it when we do the follow-up to this which is the short story in book seven where we we find out about the loose thread here. But the idea that there are gateways all over the galaxy, but for some reason there are no gateways within 10 light years of the Bajoran system. That was a very interesting setup. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the only reason that they really give is that it's the Denorius belt and the Tachyon eddies that happen in the Denorius belt, and therefore you get the idea that somehow the wormhole and the prophets are protecting Bajor, uh, from the the gateway network, which makes sense a little bit when you realize what the power the power that these gateways run off of and how they would actually end up destroying entire galaxies because of they they, they would just draw in all this power and you know they would be collapsing suns and all that kind of stuff that Scotty explains at the beginning of the book. So that part was was kind of interesting but you're right it doesn't get explained fully enough to the point where you're it makes more sense or you feel right i i felt i I found it a very intriguing idea and i really felt that it was heading towards the prophets and having something to do with the prophets and as you say like you can kind of pull that out of the explanation that we get but it left me unsatisfied i felt like there was a lot of time spent on the fight between the Herogen and Tyranitar. And then I felt like I didn't get a satisfactory explanation to the much more interesting setup of the lack of gateways in the Bajoran system. Well, that's a big thing too. Um, You know, Tyranitar and Kira had had the great conversation about faith last time. And that, continues on in this book and i thought that was very interesting because kira is still dealing with the spiritual element of being um attained from her people and they have this whole conversation about you know that she fights for her and she's been fighting for her home which tyranitar doesn't understand this really idea of home he's like you keep talking about this i don't understand and and really, she says it's my unit. You know, my my people are my unit. They're what I hold on to. The same way you would hold on to your unit in in uh, as a Jim Hadar. 
and uh, the fact that she still has this faith even though the the what's connected with her faith are, are her people and everything and they've turned her back on them but she still hasn't turned her back on the prophets and him trying to deal with this idea of well he doesn't feel like he has a place anymore he doesn't the you know the well they have uh, this big conversation about home like what is home and right. because he he feels like uh, so what if these people on Europa Nova have to leave and go somewhere else. I mean, it's just a planet. Because the Jem'Hadar being bred as fighters, they they kind of come into existence, right? I mean, they don't experience the childhood and the sentimentalities and things like, like we do or like Bajorans do. And so they have that conversation about home. And Kira talks about how she's spent her whole life fighting for Bajor. And of course, as you're just describing, you know, she's been attainted by the Bajoran religion, but yet she still sees it as home. And, and Tranitar says to her, you believe caring for your home brings you closer to your gods. And she says, I suppose that's one way of looking at it. And he says, yet your gods cast you out. And I thought his statement of yet your gods cast you out shows the similarity in what they're going through because, you know, he's, Oh, he's following her orders because Odo sent him there and told him to do it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Tranantar feels like the prophets, his gods, have cast him out. They've sent him. It's almost like he's been exiled right. to go and live on this station. Well, what's what's interesting about it is is that you know, Kira, you know, her gods haven't cast her out. You know, her people have, and it's yeah. a lot the same way of you know Luther in his ninety five theses and being kicked out of the Catholic Church, and all of that happening, because what Kira has brought to her people is is kind of a Reformation mm-hmm. understanding of the prophets, and she's been kicked out because of that by the establishment. It's, it's very much in that same vein of, you know, Luther and the Protestant Reformation for the Catholic Church. And so uh, I can understand, and it makes very much sense to me then, why she still holds on to her faith and she'll never let it go, because... What her faith in is in is in the prophets, not the you know the the people or necessarily the the system. Especially when she um, feels very strongly that it's it's kind of broken. Um, yeah, her, and and I, I think that's a really cool thing to see kind of play out for these two characters in, in very different ways, but watching them kind of go through some of the same things and it really it it. it you know, when you first thought, okay, they're going to bring a Jem Hadar. I mean, what we've seen Jem Hadar before on the show, and, and they're kind of like characterless, you know, most of the yeah. time. But really adding this kind of uh, emotional angst into Jem uh, Hadar and watching him go through this, I think is really a really interesting story point. And also, we talked at the beginning here about how Keith continues the threads through the relaunch series. And Tranitar does refer to his experience in the previous novel in Abyss, which is helping him to yes. both question his faith, question his gods, the prophets, and uh, brings him and Kira closer together to help see their similarities as well. Well, too, you know, Shar is on the cover here, and Keith really finally lets out of the bag exactly what's going on with the Andorians uh, because his mother shows up. 
And uh, as we all know, Star Trek mothers, um, it's Esri's mother's not so great. Luxana Troy, who we talked about on the orb a few weeks ago, not so great. Mothers just kind of tend to be bad news in uh, the Star Trek universe. And uh, I mean, Keiko O'Brien's kind of. Eh. So anyway. <laughs> this was really interesting to to see finally that what's happening with the Andorian people is that they're slowly dying, um, that their race is dying out because of of um, genetics and this four gendered um, sexuality that they have is really taking its toll on their people, and she wants him to come home and help bond with his bondmates so that they can have a child, so they can continue, and he's arguing with her saying no i've been doing what other people want me to do and our people are going to die regardless of whether i propagate or not i'm not leaving um so i thought that, that was a really interesting thing to finally see the that can of worms opened for the enduring people and this will play in huge later on in, in dayton's book paths of disharmony when andor finally succeeds from the federation because of this issue and then some of the things they find out about what's happened in uh, the Vanguard series uh, in relation to the Andorians and genetics uh, and genetic engineering in the in the Federation. So really setting up a small kernel that's going to turn into something huge later on. That That's a good setup here then. Ishar is a character that I so far I haven't really latched on to as much yet as some of the other characters so but it was good to finally get some explanation as to what what that what i can associate with with char is the uh this rough relationship sort of you know, animosity with his mother uh you know i mean because i have that in my own life but um Fortunately, in my case, it has nothing to do with, you know, needing to have four people to mate or anything like that. So, but it was good to see uh, what's going on in the other books between him and his mother, because we hear a lot about it and, uh, and now we can move forward. Yeah. And I, 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 you know, it's interesting too, because like you said, he's a character that takes a little while to kind of grow on you. And then I think for me, I, I, I really liked him in the end. And, and, and was always uh, very excited to see that character move forward. And this really does a great job to do that. Um, and then, uh, you know, what I thought was really interesting is in this book is watching um, Vaughn in the, in the way that he works in Starfleet. And the fact that this guy is so respected and yet he's never allowed himself to be promoted above commander. Which, you know, we all know Kirk famously telling Picard, don't ever let them take you out of that chair because when you're in that chair, that's where you can make a difference. And for him, he doesn't even want to be a captain because he feels like that uh, takes him away from what he really wants yeah. to do, which is to be an explorer and be able to, to explore all the different facets of Starfleet and what they do as explorers. And that's a really interesting thing. He found out Commander is the sweet spot. Exactly, which is why Riker was there for so long. In <laughs> fact, Chris, I, I took a, a Star Trek quiz the other day to see what character you were. I was Riker. So okay. apparently I put my leg up on things a lot, um, <laughs> and I just didn't realize it. So I'm going to have to start watching that and make sure, uh, you know, it work. I'm not accidentally, you know 
leaning up into somebody or something walk like up that. to your boss you prop your leg up on his desk and say so you know that that project we're working on what I was thinking, my boss says, could, could you just put your leg down? I mean, yeah. What? What are you? Get your a little get your leg off of my desk. What? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, Vaughn is. He's obviously very well respected, not only by those serving under him on the Defiant here, but and not only amongst uh, like the president on Europa Nova, who he has talked to as well, but just within Starfleet itself, uh, as we've seen in the previous books. He has um, an air to him, the way he carries himself. You could tell that like, even the admirals respect him because he may only have those three pips on his collar, but he has more experience than, than all of the others. Because how old is he? Yeah. He's, is he over 100 at this point? Uh, yeah, he's very close to that, if not yeah. over a hundred. And I think yeah. that that's one of the things that makes him so interesting is he does, like you said, he just has this aura and everybody just kind of goes, oh, that's Elias Vaughn, you know, yeah. in hushed tones as he walks by. And and I think that's a really interesting thing. I, I love that the novels allow you to really explore these different facets of, of Starfleet and what it means to be a Starfleet officer, what it means to be somebody in there a long time and still be there instead of it just being somebody who's a captain or been bumped up to admiral or something like that, it just really giving you that opportunity to kind of live in the universe. Um, right. And then, you know, Chris, I thought what's really interesting too is that we had get Golmoset in here. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, obviously them explaining, you know, he's the Ducat's brother and um, the, the him coming out of the scene. And, and, and really I thought was interesting was just what he has to say in the end about how his people have been working against the galaxy too long uh, right. and that it's time for them as Cardassians and for the galaxy to unite uh, and, and, and that they're, you know, he wants to be a part of that. And what I thought was really interesting is that, uh, you know, again, Keith is doing a great job of setting up some things that are really going to play out as the Cardassian people still try to recover from, you know, betraying the entire Alpha Quadrant. And um, I, I loved seeing him use this character that we all hate when we see him on screen. You know, uh, Nog makes references to that. Um, a lot of the the characters make reference to the fact that he looks and sounds like Ducat, and it's hard to get past that. Well, it was really, it, it, it's a clever thing to come and say that, okay, because Mark Alemo was so well-known as Gold Exactly. Ducat, but of course he played Gold Masset on The Next Generation. And just to come up with an explanation for that, oh yeah, <laughs> right, brother, that's why we look so much alike. Which is why Star Trek books are great for helping us retcon things. <laughs> um but and it also so, works because it 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 explains the initial uh, concern that they have when they see him. Like, oh my God, it's Golden right. Hot. Right, exactly. And it obviously makes the characters, it puts the characters even more on guard than they already would be when this Cardassian and this Cardassian ship shows up. Right, yeah. right. Well, and again, I think one of the things that's really nice is um, starting to just show... Cardassians in a different light you know we've we've seen a lot of Cardassians they're all very similar 
and uh, you know I think Garrick's the one that stands out the most to us. But instead of having a bloodthirsty, you know, Cardassian uh, who's really only out for his people and themselves, this is a Cardassian who's 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 showing us a completely different side. Uh, and I I really like that. I like when that happens in the Star Trek books, of 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 rounding off the 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 races and and helping them see that they're not just all lockstep you know they're all the same right. and and this was a great way of doing that and and what better way to do it than with a character who looks like a character that we all hate exactly so you also mentioned the Esri parts of the story and mm-hmm. I felt just I didn't really share my thoughts on that earlier is that it's it's not a major part of the story for me anyway, but we do get to see her dealing with command. It's building. That's the important thing to me is that it's building on what we saw in the other books. And as she's now in the command track and now we get to see her in a situation on the station, when, the, especially when the refugees come over, where she has to experience what it's like to actually be a leader. Because it's one thing to be on the defiant and have to take charge for a short while in a situation and it's something else to actually have to be the captain all the time, be in command all the time. So, so that was interesting there. And then the part that you mentioned where she has to contact her doctor on Trill, that part I found very interesting because it fills in more of, it, it, it makes it seem more real because, you know, we have that setup of Trill and how they're selected to, to be joined And then we have the emergency thing on Deep Space Nine where Esri just has to take the symbiont in. And as we've talked about here and we've talked about on the orb, what does that mean for a trill? Uh, Here, I I enjoyed getting to, even though it was brief in the book, I enjoyed getting to see into that window a little bit and have that little bit of a conversation. And then when, it was interesting when she has has this one sentence and, and the doctor says, you know, you transitioned through three hosts in that one sentence. It's like this part of the sentence, this part of the sentence, this part of the sentence. And um, I'm not sure that I actually caught that myself when I'm reading the sentence. I don't know if it was as clear as it could have been, but it was another uh, nice character moment for me anyway. Well, and and um, it's, a, it's a good callback to the fact that this character is still having to deal with these things. And right. um, I really, again, I really like watching that happen. Um, and I, I do like uh, the fact that we're, we're seeing Ezri have to figure out what it means to be in command when it's not sexy. You know, you know, it's when I mean by that, it's sexy to be on the bridge and in command and taking control and, and right. those kind of things. But, you know, this is the minutia that, you know, commanders and captains have to deal with all the time, the small things, the little things. uh, And especially, you know, I think we've talked about this before. Would Picard be a good captain or commander of Deep Space Nine? Right. uh, As opposed to the way Cisco does it, and and that it takes a really special type of person, not only to be a captain of a a star base or, you know, um, a space station, um, but it, 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 there's, there's something about that that's, it's difficult because you are dealing with people day in and day out, same type of people on your crew, the people who live there. Then you're having to deal with all the different aliens that come in all the time. 
it's a really stressful job. Well, and the kind of patience liked... that it requires. Uh, the, oh, gosh. There's the scene in there where they get the refugees in the quarters and and they're asking how they can cook food. Like, well, this is a food replicator right here. Yeah, but how do I make food? And there's that <laughs> point where Esri sighs and it just says she, she tries not to dwell on the irony of explaining the concept of food replicators to someone who lived in a society that relied on them. And don't you feel like that often in everyday life too, where there's like something that's yeah. just such a basic part of our society. And then there's someone who just doesn't get it, but you have to try to explain something and, and it requires so much patience. Cause like you, you don't want to be a jerk, but at the same time, you're kind of like, why don't you get this? It's, it's such a, a basic thing. And so that's what happens when you're in a command situation like that. And so she gets to experience that here. Well, and, and it's it's so funny to to see that her kind of take all of those parts of her and be able to deal with something like this. And mm-hmm. um, I, I thought that that was great um, to see that, you know, that doctor might be worried that she's switching from host to host to host. But at the same time, you do feel like she's kind of learning to use the best parts of her host to help Esri, you know, who she's going to be. Uh, and and, and in, in a way, isn't that what it means to be us anyway? We you know, we take the best parts of what we see in other people a lot of times, and we, and we try to emulate that because that's what helps us grow and makes us better people. And so... Well, uh, and we also you know, observe the, the worst parts and what people do exactly. so that we can make sure to avoid those things as well. Right. And so I think that's a, just a really interesting thing. It's a, it's a great character to watch her grow. And, and of course, you know, it's great, too, because we didn't get to spend a lot of time with her on the series, obviously. And so it's it's good to have her um, and see her growing uh, as a more fully rounded character now in yeah. the novels. And so and we also see Nog growing a bit as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we see Nog being continuing to become more comfortable in his role on the crew and and helping Shara along a little bit as well. And what about but Quark? And I really don't have a lot to say about the whole Quark Gala storyline. Like you said earlier, it was very much like one of those fun adventures from like a numbered novel. But did, did you did you gain anything out of that part of the story other than Roe can really kick some ass? Yeah, uh, the thing I really get out of that is is their kind of uh, relationship, uh, their flirtation, yeah. her, him and Roe. And then, of course, he's setting up the, the, the Orion that will be a part of Quark's business and be a big part of the furthering of the Deep Space Nine relaunch as we continue. And so I, the only thing I really get out of that storyline so much is that they help figure out that these people aren't the Iconians. Right, they're just pre- people pretending to be the Iconians, and and so on a whole, though it, it's not the strongest part of the story for me, and so I don't really have too much to say about it either. It's okay. There's some fun right. things that happen. It's kind of funny. I felt like it drags on a little bit too long, um, in parts because him and Gala are going back and forth. I feel like Quark has the same conversation a couple of times with the Orion. Um, about that's taking too long and and so but what it'll do later on for the storyline I appreciate it for that okay so it's a good setup for what's to come yeah yeah the only thing Chris uh, that I really want to talk about is is that reading this on the ebook 
Uh, I was disappointed in the formatting of the ebook. There's a lot of mistakes. Yeah, there uh, are a lot. I was thinking the same thing. And yeah. it's really frustrating when you're reading an ebook and that happens. And so, uh, I guess part of that is just them converting it um, originally. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I, but it's pretty I, bad. I mean, it's it is you know you pay seven ninety nine for an ebook. You kind of expect it to be formatted well, and right. you know it's very disappointing for Kindle uh, to have this ebook that is just chock full of mistakes. Well, and it's not just Kindle because I have the iBook version, and the oh, iBook okay. version also is filled with problems. There are spaces missing. There are oftentimes where two words run together because the space is missing. Yes. That's the biggest problem with the yep, formatting that in the iBook version. Yeah, that is the biggest version. problem, and. And it's disappointing because I now I will say with ebooks that newer ebooks that are being released this year or last year seem to have fewer of these problems, but I still find a lot of problems in ebooks. And I, I think especially when publishers are charging us pretty much the same prices as we would pay for a paperback for these books, uh, they do need to take the time to actually proofread. Because I feel like they're converting them and they're not actually reading them. They're just converting them and they're not proofing. Because if you were proofing, you would obviously catch the problems. Right. And, well, and it and is a little you know, bit distracting as you read, I agree. It's not just a proofing, too. It seems to be it's a formatting issue because words running together like that is a format. You know, you, 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 and, and the margins and all of that stuff and the yeah. spaces between the, 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 uh, paragraphs all yeah. of those things are formatting issues and you know when you just kind of convert from whatever file it is that you're using or however you're doing it you, you just need to be more careful yeah so, so i um, agree on that so on a whole chris you know we've been working through this uh deep space nine relaunch uh where would you rank uh you know we've done four now where would you kind of rank this one uh in 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 the the four that we've done well, as a niner, I would rank this one fourth uh, last out of the books that we've done. It's not that it's not an enjoyable read. It's just that it, it doesn't have quite the depth that I enjoy about DS9 and that we get in the first two Avatar books and that we get in Abyss. But I think that's because it's part of this Gateway series. So it needs to feel like the series because, as you mentioned earlier, there are probably a lot of people who read this book who don't normally read the DS9 novels. And so it I think it feels, you know, I've read a lot of these other series in the past, like Invasion or Captain's Table series. And it feels very much like that. You know, it's one of the books in that series. But Keith did a good job of putting enough of the DS9 flavor in it and taking threads from the first three books and pulling them through to push us on to the next ones to make it work as a DS9 book for me. But I still enjoyed Avatar and Abyss more than I enjoyed Gateways. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I, I'm exactly the same place. I think this book is, is of course, uh, well worth a read, and it does a lot of things to push forward the story for Deep Space Nine. You, you will... If you don't read it and you read the next book in the series, uh, the beginning of the um, Gamma series, you would be a little lost. And so it is worth reading. Um, and there's some fun things that happen in here, but it's definitely not my favorite. 
But hey, you know what? That's okay. Mm-hmm. As in any television show, you know, you have your strong, strong episodes and you have your ones that are they're decent episodes. And I think this is definitely a very decent Star Trek book. And I've read some bad Star Trek books. I mean, I, I'll tell you if I think it sucks. Um, and I wouldn't encourage you to buy it. But, you know, honestly, uh, for the ones that I've read, um, and I've read a lot of Star Trek books, this is this is a good book. It, it's a very solid book, and it, it is definitely worth the read, especially if you're working your way through the Deep Space Nine relaunch. You don't want to miss any of the books in the series. Yeah, I agree. Now, the one thing we didn't talk about is something that happens at the end of this book. Kira is faced with a big choice. And what we're going to do is uh, that is resolved in book seven of this series in a short story. And so next week, we're going to talk about that short story to conclude our discussion of Demons of Air and Darkness and the Gateway series uh, where DS9 is concerned. Because although that's not technically the next novel in the DS9 relaunch series, it's the bridge because it is a short story that's in the middle. So we're going to cover that. Well, and two, Chris, if we don't, and we get back to that ne- the next book in the series, and Kira's back, we're going to be like, how did Kira get back <laughs> to the station? This is weird. <laughs> well, you know, if if books, if Netflix brought you books, what would happen on Netflix is that Netflix would have every book in the DS9 relaunch series, ah. except for Gateways number seven right. and the resolution of Kira, so... That's how it would work. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Matthew. Well, I've enjoyed talking about Demons of Air and Darkness with you today, but it's not the only thing we've been discussing on the network this week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Orb. Looking for Parlock in all the wrong places. Well, and you also get the feeling here that she's only, I mean, Worf really is only being rejected because she's not interested. It has nothing to do with whether or not Worf is Klingon enough or any of that. She's just not interested. She's interested in Quark. Earl Grey. The Holodeck. Alexander Rojinko was conceived on the Holodeck. <laughs> That's exactly right. In Worf's calisthenics program with Skeletor watching because he was just frozen there and he couldn't look away. The Ready Room. The Man Trap. Well, it wasn't what Roddenberry wanted to do with it. It was what uh, the the writer, George Clayton Johnson, wanted to do with it. But it was basically making the character more sympathetic. To the journey! The Doctor. But I love that moment when Chakotay, like, uh, was projecting himself into the room. And, like, he, he totally, like, kneels down and gets super serious and calm like Chakotay does. He's like, he's like, what you've shown us is it's not what you're made of. But what you do or how you feel, you know, you just start to get like, and like even in like season two, they start to realize the Doctor is not just a hologram; he is becoming something more. Commentary: Trek stars. Caprica. Prequels are sort of uh, a constant trap that people end up going to. You know, the, this thing was successful uh, and it ended. Well, let's go before it ended and tell a different story. Warp five. Klingons on Enterprise. Having. The Klingons at the very beginning of the series, running through that field. Do you think that was born out of the discomfort that the studio had in the idea of the prequel series to begin with? Trek news and views. The naked time. Gold shirts are easily ripped and disposable. Yeah. Blue shirts self-replicate so that they you know show no damage, and red shirts whisk away sweat. 
Yeah. They're highly absorbent. There you go. So that you can't tell that your security awesome. guards are nervous. Literary treks. David R. George III, Revelation and Dust. And it feels like an evolution for Starfleet as well in the way that they built a star base. Well, I'm glad that came across because that was sort of one of the things that I was going for. You wanted to be an evolution in Starfleet's construction of star bases. Mm-hmm. It should be something brand new. And because it's an important station, because it's in an important location, it, it really needed to be, I thought, uh, a grand station. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week. And some days now we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom. You can download or stream from the website. Many, many ways for you to find the shows. So go over to trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. And Matthew, we had during our two-week break here, we had a review on iTunes from Section 47 which I think sounds even more elite than Section 31. What do you think? Yeah, I'm a little worried. I don't want to uh, meet <laughs> this person in a dark alley, but I do appreciate the review. Well, I have a feeling if you did meet this person in a dark alley, they would be very, very nice to you, Matthew, because Section 47 left us five stars and cited in particular special features. They said, I wish Star Trek novels had special features. Oh, wait, we have literary tricks. Thanks for all your hard work getting excellent author interviews, as well as news and analysis. Thank you, thank you. This is exactly what I want to be talking about. So it's it's a lot like what we said ourselves I, last week, which is that, you know, talking to David R. George III last week was very much like having a special feature to kick off the fall series. Yeah, it really is, and I really do appreciate that review, and we thank you for taking the time to do that. It really does help people find us, and, and it, it lets us know that um, that what we're doing is, is a, not just appreciated by the fans, but just something that they, they like, and, and we are glad that you like it, we love it too, and, and that's why we do it. So thank you again, Section 47, for that review, and for everyone else, if you enjoy the show... Take a moment and drop by iTunes and leave us a star rating and a written review. It only takes about a minute and it really does help other listeners find the show as they search iTunes and, you know, find out that we do have this book and comic discussion, which is something that, you know, you don't get as often as you get discussion of the television series. Other ways you can contact us if you'd like to share your thoughts is by going to the website, trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose literary treks and that will come to Matthew and me by email. We also have forums where you will find a thread for this show, as well as books, comics, and literary treks. You can talk to us and other listeners there, and that's at trek.fm slash forums. You can also easily send us a voicemail through the website, and in social media, you'll find us at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and on Twitter under username trek.fm, where we tweet about Star Trek all the time. Now, Matthew, when you're not, you know, jumping through Iconian gateways, Uh, frolicking through the galaxy where can people find you chris if you'd like to find me the people can find me on twitter at matt rushing zero two tweeting about all sorts of different things there and then of course we also do that show that i talked about earlier we do the orb and if you enjoy deep space nine talk we talk deep space nine all the time on that show so please join us there now chris when you're not fighting herogen on malon ships in the delta quadrant where can people find you Well, you can find me, you know, practicing with my blade, 
getting ready because you never know where a Hirogen might appear. It's very true. <laughs> when, when I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C, Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username and on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And on the network, besides the orb with you, Matthew, you're sometimes with me on the Ready Room, as are other hosts from all over the Trek FM network, as we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series, as well as Star Trek news. We have panel discussions there, so check that out. And also, you'll find me on Warp 5 with Kate Walsh, where we talk about Enterprise exclusively. So uh, check those shows out. And also, Matthew, before we let everyone go, we'd like to ask you to support our sponsor for this week's show. Once again, that is Squarespace, the web's best hosting in CMS, which makes it easy for you to create a beautiful blog, website, or portfolio. And as we discussed earlier in News Today, an online store using the fantastic Squarespace commerce feature. Again, that starts at just $24 a month. You don't have to integrate any outside services to accept credit cards, manage taxes, shipping, process your orders. It's uh, the easiest way you'll find to sell digital or physical goods online. So go try it for yourself for free for 14 days. There's no credit card required. Just enter your name and email address. And also, as a Trek FM listener, remember that you can save 10% by using our special offer code TREK10. And if you choose the annual plan, like Matthew getting his Daxorama.com domain, you too can get your own custom domain registration for free. So again, that's at squarespace.com. And we really thank Squarespace for their support of the network. Also, another way you can support us is by going to trek.fm slash donate, where we have eight aliens. These are original alien illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on the website. They're available as badges or art prints, and you can mix and match which ones you want in which format. We have different levels of contributions for you to choose from, so choose what's right for you, and your donations help us pay for the costs of production, storage, and bandwidth that's needed to bring literary treks and our other programming to you every week, and we really thank you for your support there. Thank you so much for joining us, and until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. Recording. Recording. Ooh, recording. Magic gateway pants. Oh, whoa. <laughs> those are some big pants. <laughs> yeah. You unzip those pants, you go right through, you never know where you're going to end up. <laughs> <laughs> That's so disturbing. <laughs> oh, and the Orions just, want them. Ah, <laughs> uh, You just pray you end up, you know, uh, you, never mind. This is a family show. <laughs> 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 oh goodness a semi-family right. show uh, goodness <laughs>